Hey, welcome to another episode of the Hammer and Umpire Podcast. Uh, with another day of self-quarantine and staying at home as we've been instructed here in the state of Michigan, I found time, believe it or not, to put together an episode for you. I got a voice message from uh, Jula Operhall, which I'm going to be responding to. That'll be one of my segments. Uh, also, I've got the next part of the MHSAA baseball exam for postseason consideration. I've got five questions as usual for you there. I'm going to talk about the recently passed coronavirus bill, the $2 trillion bill, and what that might mean for independent contractors like us, umpires. And um, dealing with loss and grief is another one of my segments, uh, how we are handling um, what's been thrown at us here this spring, which is um, pretty significant if you really start thinking about it and step back for a moment. As usual, I also have a umpire spotlight, this time on uh, American League umpire George Moriarty. You might not be very familiar with him, but uh, I'll make you a little bit familiar with him. Here in Michigan, the weather has been pretty good, and we've been in the 50s. we got a little rain here and there, but... Would have been some good days to be on the baseball field. Um, I don't suggest that you look at your schedule and where you would have been. I've done that on a couple of occasions. Um, at least I, and sometimes I just kind of knew in my mind where I might have been on a particular day. Um, that makes it a little bit harder to deal with it. But, um, yeah, it's that time of year and that makes it tough. You know, sometimes when you walk outside, uh, frequently, you know, when, when it's nice outside, I always feel like I should be on the baseball field. And when I'm not, it's like I'm doing something wrong or whatever. Um, of course, you know, with the college schedule already gone, we, you know, we've been able to deal with that. The next question for a lot of us that work high school ball is whether that season is ever going to uh, to start back up again or start at all. I mean, it hasn't started at all here in Michigan. Uh, schools here are closed until at least April 13th. And uh, the word is that the governor and the, and the uh, legislature are going to cancel face-to-face classes for the remainder of the year. There might be some sort of online learning, um, but we'll find out probably this next coming week here what the deal is. What does that say about spring sports? Now, if classes are completely canceled and kids are have no responsibility at all for school, it's pretty hard to say that you can be practicing and playing a sport if you don't have to go to school. Uh, I think that's probably the case for most most states you know so that's the worst thing now if they do this online learning kind of stuff and they wait i, I don't know I, I feel like the the michigan high school uh athletic association is doing a, a really nice job of being patient and seeing how things play out they're even talking about well you know you could play into later june or maybe july or maybe in the summer if something worked out they're, they're leaving all kinds of things open i don't know if that's ever going to happen that seems a little bit far-fetched to me but I'm glad that they're at least considering things, and I'm sure um, most parents and students are are happy that they are as well as along with us officials, right? Because it would be um, a real shame if the whole season was canceled. But my gut feeling is that it's it's probably going to be. I mean, that's what I'm assuming. I hope I'm wrong, but it feels like at some point, especially after this next week, we'll see what. Uh, what the ruling will be. I'm sure they're waiting on the governor here to see what she does and um, then make a ruling on that. 
I, you know, uh, assigned for a travel league here in the, that runs from like late April through the summer. And they're still planning on going as normal. And, uh, you know, they sent me their teams. They got a whole bunch of teams, a whole bunch of games and stuff. Um, and they're planning on playing those. So we'll see how that works out. Um, I don't know. Uh, until somebody tells them they can't play or if there is some kind of, you know, executive order here, uh, then they're going to try to go through with that. I've heard things about college ball that they, they might try to play some more stuff in the fall potentially. Um, we'll see if that works out. I, I hope it does. I'd like to pick up a few games there if I'm able to. I don't know what levels that will be. If it will just be – I mean, I know NAIA does that frequently. Um, but we'll see if JUCOs do that. We'll see if the NCAA D1, 2, and 3 decide to do some of that. That would be nice. I'm sure a lot of players and coaches and umpires would appreciate that if that were able to be worked out. But uh, as it is with everything in this pandemic world that we're living through, um, everything seems to change from day to day, and we just got to be patient and be in the present and um, try to, you know, get through it the best we can. And uh, eventually, hopefully, it'll all work out. So I've got several episodes um, to come, you know, throughout this pandemic, and I've got a, a good one put together for you here which hopefully will make you think about a few things and uh, take your mind off some of the other issues that are going on. Make sure you can hear me just fine. Maybe you're listening to me on a, uh, a, um, a Google device or you're listening to me on an Amazon Alexa, you know, Google Home or Amazon Alexa. Um, those are easily used to uh, listen to the podcast. You just got to you know, tell it that you want to listen to the Hammer and Umpire podcast. And uh, usually we'll play for you. So make sure that everything is uh, in tip-top shape for another episode of The Hammer, an umpire podcast. So a few days ago, uh, Congress passed the $2 trillion economic stimulus bill that um, is designed to try to help Americans get through this coronavirus pandemic. And um, I'm sure most of you have been following to see if there's going to be any relief for sports officials. Um, we call ourselves independent contractors. So there has been some word that there are going to be provisions in this bill to help independent contractors. What exactly that looks like, we don't really know yet. We won't know for probably a few days, maybe a week or, or so, until things kind of work themselves out. I've been following along with it. I'm sure you have. And uh, so has NASO, the um, you know, the, the group that puts out Referee Magazine and ensures lots of uh, officials across the country, including lots of you that are umpires, and I'm a member of their organization. So they're looking at it very closely and trying to get information out to people. And this is some of the stuff that they have found so far, and I'm sure this will change and be updated as the days go on. So, I mean, it's a little early yet, but um, some of the potential benefits um, are that unemployment insurance payments 
that may benefit independent contractors and others under a certain income threshold uh, during the crisis may be in place. So I don't know. I mean, it's going to matter how much money you make, how much money you lost from this. Um, if you file your taxes, I bet, you know, because if you if you don't do that, I know some guys try to get around that. But if you don't do that, it's going to be really hard to, to prove that that's what you lost what kind of record keeping that you keep of uh, your games and assignments. If you get pretty much all your games through Arbiter or something like that, there's a way to, to show that you had those games canceled. So that wouldn't be too difficult. But if that is not the way that you get your assignments, um, you'd have to be able to prove it. I mean, they're going to make you prove it. They're not gonna, just going to hand you a whole bunch of money without some kind of proof, right? There could be... Um, Loans for certain independent contractors that have deferred or maybe forgiven repayment. That, that's possible. They talk about that in this bill. And the potential uh, credits against um, federal self-employment taxes, which if you do file your taxes like you should through um, self-employment, we know you get hit big time with uh, the taxes because nothing's taken out um, of the wages that you're earning as an official, right? So it's... Also, very likely that any financial relief is going to require, you know, this proper documentation. That's to say that independent contractors who don't keep good financial records and you haven't over the last few years or who don't report income, um, you're not going to benefit at all. So I guess that might be a wake up call uh, for a few people to make sure that they're doing the things that they should have been doing beforehand. Anyway, um, there's always that uh, opportunity for you to contact your legislatures, um, whether that be at the state and local level or at the federal level, and tell them your situation. And um, if enough people do that, um, then maybe some things will be worked out for, uh, for people. All of us have, have lost in this, um, some more than others, but everybody's lost something. Um, and there are lobbyists out there for all kinds of organizations that are going to make sure they get their cut of this $2 trillion. We, in our own way, like NASA, I guess we could consider them a bit of a lobbyist for us. I mean, they're not officially going to some government and doing it uh, on our behalf, and we're not paying them t to necessarily do that. But out of their their own um, you know, interests for sports officials, uh, they're trying to do the right thing. So I certainly commend them for doing that. But um, I guess it's upon all of us to um, to try to make sure that people understand um, the situation that we are all in and what has happened uh, from this pandemic to sports officials across the country. So if I find out more information, I certainly will update you on things that I find out. Um, and I um, urge you to let me know as well. Uh, you can send me uh, an email, or you can certainly leave me a voice message. Sometimes that's easy. I mean, 60 seconds or, or less through the Anchor app or through the um, the website, you can say a lot in that amount of time about some particular topic. Um, and I certainly would be more than willing to try to use that on the show and, and fit that in. All right, so hopefully this stuff is going to work out for us. Um, only time will tell, right? Referee Magazine released um, a whole bunch of stuff uh, in their their weekly email. Um, uh, and one of the articles that they had was talking about uh, dealing with grief. 
And um, it wasn't really something that I necessarily thought about, but it, it certainly makes sense. Um, you know, grief, we usually think of that when we're thinking of something or, you know, someone that has died, and that's certainly the case. But, um, you know, with loss, any kind of loss, like loss of our umpiring and, and other things, and, and for some of you, loss of other jobs or other things that are important to you in your life, um, that is something we're all dealing with. Um, being stuck at home a lot more, whether you're self-quarantining or not, you kind of have to the way things are with the states. Like here in the state of Michigan, almost everything's closed except for vital things. So you don't really have much of a choice to do anything. It's not like you can go see a movie or go to a baseball game because they're not happening. You, know, you can walk around your neighborhood or go to the grocery store um, and a few other stores that are allowed to remain open, but that's about it, right? And so a lot of us, um, you know, there's the different stages that we've gone through for grief. I mean, if you think about that, there's the denial stage of grief. There's the anger stage. There's the um, sadness stage. And then there's hopefully the acceptance stage. And so you don't go through them all in any one order. It's not like there's like a set way. And I bet you all of us, I know I have, I've been sad about the way things have worked out, you know, this spring. I'm sure some of you have. Um, I've been a little mad about it. Yeah, I can say that for sure. You're in a little bit of denial, you know, and I think that was like when you're like, whoa, well, maybe they'll change their mind. Maybe they'll figure some things out and I'll get some of my schedule back. Or maybe this thing isn't as bad as what we thought it was, you know, which, you know, people are dying every day. So I guess it, you know, we don't want people to keep dying. So I guess it's more legitimate that way. But there is a point where you have to kind of just accept what it is and once you accept it and, and then it's a little bit easier I, I feel to deal with it um you know there's the unknown the unknown is really really tough we don't know when this thing is going to settle down for sure and then life can get back to some normalcy and i'm not just talking about uh umpiring i'm talking about everything right and and that weighs on people in different ways i, I know there's been times where you know, part of my my sleeping dreams and stuff, and I wake up and I'm thinking about different things that normally I wouldn't be thinking about. Maybe some of you have done that as well. And um, it kind of gives you that internal frustration that sometimes you don't quite understand, right? Um, so you got to try to find a balance in the things that you're thinking and put things in perspective and... Um, Accept that you, there's a lot of things you can't control and um, try to be okay with that and try to control the things that you can control and be happy with the present and what you can get out of it, all right? You know, there are good and bad things about every situation and you got to try to find what you can. So you got to let go of what you can't control and um, maybe stock up on a little bit of compassion for people and other situations and do the things you can do to make life for everybody around you a little bit better. And then hopefully the whole officiating umpiring thing will work itself out along with everything else. So um, if you get the weekly referee magazine um, articles and stuff, 
Uh, that one's in there, or, and it might even be in the, the upcoming Refereeing Magazine, too, I, I, I would, would think. Interesting read, some stuff to think about. Um, when we can kind of um, step back and see the issues that we're dealing with in our own minds, I think that makes it a little bit easier to deal with. Sometimes we're just kind of racing through things, and we're not really self-aware of why we are acting or feeling the way that we are. It makes it um, much more difficult to be in control of certain things. So um, I like to be in control of as much uh, of my thinking and, and my life as possible. And I thought that was um, an interesting um, perspective on things, an interesting article. And definitely, you know, in some ways made me feel a little bit better about things. So uh, I urge you to check it out as well um, if you can. Last week, I posted a message on the the Hammer Podcast Facebook page requesting listeners to send me a voice message about how they have been handling this time away from the field uh, since the pandemic has set in. Um, And, you know, they could say anything else they want. So you could have done that through the uh, Anchor app, as long as you've followed the show, which I think a lot of you have, or via the website as well uh, on the main page for the show. So you can leave a 60-second or less message. And and I did uh, get one voice message from an umpire um, from Ogden, Utah, Jula Operhall. And uh, I'll play you the message here momentarily and give you my response to it. But I really do appreciate that uh, he took the time to, to send me a message and hopefully... Others in the future will do that as well uh, and be part of the show, right? I mean, it, it's always nice to get more people involved than than just me talking away, right? Anyway, here is Jula's message to me. Hey, Kevin. My name is Jula Overhaul, and I'm calling him from Ogden, Utah. And we just got word from our governor that we can't play anything till may 1st if at all the kids can't go back to school till may 1st but that's crazy so i'm forced to get a regular job like everyone else i guess um i was lucky to have officiating as a major source of income and and use my passion as what i love to do for work but that's going to change for a little bit but i had a quick question for you this is my third year doing high school and my first game this year a sophomore coach just smoked me for for going to a dugout and grabbing a baseball. Now, I just want your opinion on that because I, I've done that before, but I guess I could see how it could make a coach upset, but I never thought I would ever get yelled like that for going into a dugout and getting baseball. Thanks, man. Keep up the great work. Well, first of all, thanks, Jula, for the voice message. I really appreciate that. Um, I certainly urge anybody else out there to leave me a voice message and uh, for a question or comment or whatever it might be that's on your mind uh, going on in these interesting times. And uh, I certainly will try to work it into the show and, and talk about it if, uh, if it seems like it's something that uh, we can talk about. Certainly we can talk about uh, Jula's voicemail. Um, 
Close until May 1st. Yeah, we um, here in the state of Michigan, you know, similar types of things are happening all over the, the country. But in Michigan, we are closed currently until April 13th. I don't know if players are going to be able to come back and start playing on Monday the 13th. It seems like they, they can't practice or anything. So how are you going to just jump on the baseball field? And I'm sure coaches would not be happy with that. Um, I'm supposed to have a game myself, for example, on the 13th. I don't think that's probably going to happen. And as an assigner, um, I'm anticipating that games that week, if we are able to come back, which that is definitely very, very questionable, will be will be whacked, I think. But May 1st, that seems a little bit better time frame hopefully you guys will be able to get back on the field then and get some games in you're lucky that you actually got some games in this year <laughs> okay there's a lot of us around here especially in the the cooler climates that uh haven't even seen the field concerning the coach that got on you for going to the dugout to get a baseball um you said he was a jv coach um i've always found that high school jv coaches are a little fickle in general okay I know not all of them are like that way but in general more so than like freshman coaches you know they kind of know that they're there to if you do have freshman teams which those are getting limited um, but they're there to help those players right and help them develop and maybe move on to JV University and and give some playing time to some people Um, and varsity coaches you know they usually have been around for a while and they kind of know what's going on they're trying to win ball games and everything but uh you know, maybe a little more seasoned. But JV coaches frequently are guys that want to be varsity coaches. And so sometimes they're a little bit younger, um, not always, but frequently they are. And they just have like a certain attitude that uh, that uh, I find a little off-putting at times. Going to the dugout to get a baseball. I'm not saying that that's the worst thing in the world to do, but probably not the best idea. You know, if you, um, if you, I don't go to the dugouts to get baseballs um i'm not saying i've never done it but i try not to do that because when the dugout is kind of their area right and also i mean i don't know obviously this guy overreacted in some way or another for you getting a baseball um you probably got a new baseball i assume baseballs are expensive maybe he didn't want to put a new brand new baseball into play maybe he was going to use Another one that was in pretty good shape or something like that. Maybe that's why he got irritated. But also, that's their territory, right? Um, and we need to kind of stay out of their area, their dugouts, all right? Um, I know guys will go in and get water or things like that. But uh, I've been taught, and I think it's good practice, that you know, if you, if you need some water, you didn't bring any water or, or you're out there, um, then you ask for some, you know, nicely and they can bring it. If you need a baseball, say, Hey, I'm, you know, I'm out of baseballs or I've only got one baseball left. Really need a baseball. Can somebody get me that? You know, you ask nicely, they can come bring it to you. Um, I know you've been doing high school for three years, so hopefully you'll move on up and you'll get to some games at some point, um, maybe in high school, but you know, maybe you decide to do some uh, collegiate games or something like that and frequently there's a guy that's there handling the baseballs you know getting when they get the foul balls back you just kind of point over hey i need three baseballs please or i need two baseballs or i've only got one baseball left or something like that and they take care of it and then they can come out there and give you the baseballs um, think of the baseball games that you've watched 
um, especially like professional or collegiate games that you've watched on television in the past. I know they're hard to find right now, but you don't ever see the umpire walking over to a dugout and getting some baseballs or somebody there giving them to him. And uh, the home team should be doing that as well. They There should be somebody designated, you know, probably a pitcher that's not pitching or something like that, or maybe there's some kind of bat boy or whatever uh, that can give you the baseballs. All right, so stay out of the dugouts. That's basically what I'm trying to tell you, okay? Because things like that can happen. I mean, I, I think this guy was wrong to get on you uh, from what it sounds, but um, you kind of put yourself in that position too. So I guess the lesson learned here is, Stay the heck out of the dugouts. If you need baseballs, there you go. I've been to the point where I've, I've told people I need baseballs. They don't bring baseballs over. Well, you know what? I guess we'll just wait here until somebody gets baseballs because it's not my job to go run down foul balls, and it's not my job to make sure they're in play. And sometimes I know, especially lower-level high school games, uh, which all of us have worked at some point, um, you know, they only have so many baseballs. They give you, like, two or three. Oh, is that good enough? You're thinking, no, I got woods behind me here or whatever there's a big parking lot over there and you see nobody chasing him down or or anything like that i mean obviously the best thing we always have is like that eight to ten year old kid that likes to run down the foul balls but when that's not there nobody's doing it right high school kids you know they're they're too cool to go get the foul balls usually so um yeah then you just wait and uh, if the game stops because nobody's getting the foul balls they usually get the idea that somebody needs to um, take on that responsibility or somebody needs to take charge and make sure that it's happening it's not your job to do that your job is to to call your game to manage your game to do the best you can if they're not helping you along the way by giving you baseballs that's kind of on them so um yeah, that's kind of my, my take on that. Stay out of the dugouts, all right, unless you absolutely have to go over there for some reason. But uh, usually there's not really many good reasons to go over to the dugouts. Obviously, if there's a rain delay in a high school game and something like that, and you got to go in the dugout, well, that's fine, something like that. But in the normal course of a game, you really should not be in the dugouts and you should stay as far away as possible. Also, even if you just went over there and, and got a ball, the visiting team notices that's like, what's he doing over in their dugouts? Like you're on the team or something there. It's not a good look. Okay, so um, keep those things in mind when you're working those games, whenever it is that you might get on the baseball field again. So I really appreciate you, you know, giving me that voice message, Eula, and uh, hopefully uh, things will go well for you uh, in the future and and, uh, you'll stay out of the duck house. Okay, thanks. Once again, it's time for our weekly quiz. Um, I've been using the last several weeks the MHSAA postseason baseball exam uh, that all the umpires here have to take and pass with at least 80% to be considered for um, assignments past the district level. Here we have um, districts and then we have regional we just instituted super regionals, and then there's the, the finals and semifinals. So districts are assigned uh, at the local level by assigners and the high schools uh, that are hosting them. And then uh, regionals on up are assigned by the state. So that's the way this works. As usual, I'm going to read the question and the potential answers, and you can try to guess or know hopefully, the correct answer before I tell it to you, okay? So um, this week we're doing questions 21 to 25. There's 30 total. So next week we'll we'll conclude all of this, right? 
So number 21 reads, when a fielder makes a fake tag without the ball, A, it is obstruction and a warning to the coach that an ejection will occur for the next instance, or is it B, it is legal? This is rule 222-2, and the penalty is 331B penalty. Uh, a little bit different here in Federation rules than in other rule sets. Just be aware of that. But the correct answer is A. It is obstruction and warning to the coach that an ejection will occur for the next instance. Number 22. If the MHSAA adopts game-ending procedures, this is rule 424, A, only those game-ending procedures may be used, B, the coaches may agree on other game-ending procedures, or C, the plate umpire can determine whether the game-ending procedures are fair based on the circumstances. Well, probably similar to other state associations, it's A, only those game-ending procedures may be used. Obviously, a state association does not want everybody coming up with their own stuff, right? That's going to cause chaos and, and issues from one game to the next. <clears throat> if you're working a game and they use some mercy rule there and then you go to the next one, like, well, this is what we use, you can understand that that would be um, not the best situation. Number 23, a ball that became dead is made live again as soon as the pitcher steps onto the rubber with the ball. This is rule 514. So for our choices, we've got um, A, true, or B, false. And hopefully you know that it's false. This, um, this seems to be an issue with uh, newer umpires. Uh, not knowing when to put the ball in play, but it is obviously very important to put the ball in play after every time that it goes out of play, whether it be a foul ball or somebody calls time or whatever, uh, beginning of an inning. You see this frequently. Um, people aren't perfect. There are times where sometimes something might slip your mind and you might forget to point and say play or at least point, right? Um uh, but uh, you got to make sure you do that every time in case there's like a pickoff throw or something goes on and the ball wasn't in play. Um, it, it's got to be when everybody's set up at the plate, you know, the batter, catcher, and then the pitcher steps onto the pitching plate. All right. So hopefully everybody knows that. But if you don't, you, you got to start working that into your game. Question 24. A pitcher may turn his shoulder to check runners while in contact with the rubber in the following situations. This is rule 611. A, in the set position. B, in the wind-up position. C, in both the set and wind-up. Or D, a pitcher is always allowed to turn his shoulders to check runners. Hopefully you, you chose A, in the set position. Obviously we can't be turning our shoulders in the and the wind-up, um, you can turn your shoulders all you want as long as you're not on the, on the pitching plate, right? Okay, so last question for today is 25. The umpire may authorize more than eight warm-up pitches because of A, an injury, 
B, an ejection, C, inclement weather, or D, all are correct. This is rule 622C exception. And the correct answer there is D, all are correct, if you feel that is needed. Obviously, we're trying to avoid any potential injury um, and make sure that, uh, you know, hey, if a guy needs a couple extra um, pitches or something to get warmed up and he might throw more strikes, that's all good for us umpires, especially when we're working the plate, right? Well, even when we're on the bases. So that's what I've got uh, this week for our, our weekly quiz. Next week, as I mentioned, we will do the conclusion of this quiz, and I'm sure I'll come up with something else later on down the line. Until then, keep studying your rule books and making sure you're on top of everything so that when you get back out on the baseball field, you're ready to go. This week's umpire spotlight is longtime American League umpire George Moriarty. I've got a little special spot for George Moriarty. I'm a Detroit Tigers fan, and in several ways he is connected to the Detroit Tigers and their long history, which I'll get to in a, in a couple minutes. But Moriarty spent uh, a good deal of time in Major League Baseball, particularly the American League, between 1903 and 1940. First, he came up as a uh, as a baseball player. He was a third baseman. He played pretty much every position at some time or another other than catcher or pitcher. Uh, but he came up uh, and played for the Chicago Cubs. He broke in with the New York Highlanders, which became the Yankees. He finished his career with the White Sox. But his heyday was with the Detroit Tigers, particularly their 1909 World Series team that lost in seven games to... Uh, Hannes Wagner's Pittsburgh Pirates. So he played in the big leagues um, from 1903 to uh, 1916. Um, sparingly early on, was known as a great defensive third baseman with a really strong arm and uh, was also known um, for his ability to steal bases, particularly third base and in particularly home. He stole home on many, many occasions. He wasn't necessarily the fastest guy. I mean, fast enough, but he knew a certain technique for how to do it. They say um, in 1908 and 1909 that he stole home maybe 18 times. I mean, the records, of course, in the in the early dead ball era are, aren't the greatest. But uh, nonetheless, it was reported on several occasions in the newspapers. I mean, they didn't really keep box scores as well as they do now that he did that um, quite a lot. Uh, so he ended up kind of getting a nickname for that, uh, the man who wouldn't die at third, right? Because there was a one particular game, I think it was in 1909, it doesn't really matter, in which um, he was trying to steal home. This is like in a, a game in May or something. And with the tying run, and he ended up uh, being called out. He didn't make it. And the catcher uh, got up and spit tobacco juice right on him. And so don't ever try that on somebody that's smart. And uh, Moriarty got up and cold cocked him and knocked him out. And uh, he was known as quite a brawler. Moriarty was, um, you know, an Irish guy and and pretty big for the time period, six feet, 190 pounds. So in the early 1900s, that was a pretty good sized guy. 
and he was a fighter, man. He would take on anybody and um, never lose, or never would lose. And um, there was a time where young Ty Cobb, of course, who played for the Tigers, had a little disagreement with Moriarty, and uh, Moriarty basically went over to him and said, um, "Here, here you go." And he gave him a bat and said, "You'll need this if you're going to take on an Irishman." <laughs> and Cobb backed down. And we all know that Cobb, he was no wimp himself. He would take on almost anybody, but he didn't really want to take on Moriarty. Anyway, after his playing days were over, he was an American League umpire from 1917 to 1940. There was a two-year like interruption, I guess, uh, when Ty Cobb left as manager of the Tigers. He managed the Tigers in 1927 and 1928, but then um, the team didn't perform particularly well, and he went back to umpiring. Um, he was very highly regarded in his era. He worked um, the World Series in 1921, 25, 1930, 33, and 35. And he was crew chief in 1930 and 35. And he worked uh, the second All-Star game uh, in 1934. Remember, they started the year before that. One thing that uh, stood out, he was still he was uh, working the plate for a Cleveland Indians home game against the White Sox. And um, there was a, a particular call. He didn't call strike three on a, on a pitch. Instead, he called like ball three and a guy had a triple and White Sox ended up losing the game. Okay. Of course, they blamed him and uh, they, you know, were challenging him. And it started, at, you know, right after the game there where the pitcher, Milt Gaston took him on first, and Moriarty knocked him flat and broke his hand in, in, in the process of doing that. And then several White Sox uh, players, including their manager, Lou Fonseca, and their catcher, uh, future American League umpire Charlie Berry, uh, took him on a turn, and he, you know, stood toe-to-toe with all of them. He was 47 years old at the time when he did this. So four guys tried to fight him, and uh, he fought them all off. And one of the guys in the newspaper said, well, I know he's slowing down because, you know, he used to be able to take on a whole team, and now he can only take on four guys. <laughs> so that was the kind of thing. Anyway, there were suspensions and fines handed out, but um, not for Moriarty in this instance. He was just given a reprimand. <laughs> Different era of baseball where you just, you know, f- fight four guys after the game. I'm sure most of us appreciate the fact that uh, we don't have to really do that, right? <laughs> At least I hope not, right? One of the things I respect most about Moriarty is how he handled um, a situation in the 1935 World Series that was between the Detroit Tigers and the Chicago Cubs. And the Tigers ended up winning that World Series in seven games. It was their their first World Series ever that they won. Um, During that game, uh, he, uh, Moriarty had warned several Chicago Cubs players to stop yelling anti-Semitic slurs at Greenberg, you know, who who everyone uh, hopefully knows is one of the you know, the, the first really truly great um, Jewish-American ballplayers. And so, of course, they defied him, and they kept doing that. And he took the unusual step of clearing the Chicago bench, and he ejected, uh, I think, four players from the game. And this got um, Commissioner Judge Kennesaw Mountain Landis, um, who's known for the 1919 Black Sox scandal and how he handled that, Anyway, that got him very upset. He ended up fining Moriarty $200 because there was this unwritten rule that you're not supposed to eject anybody from a World Series game unless you have permission from the commissioner. I don't know how you're supposed to get 
what are you supposed to stop the game and walk over to the box seats and say, "Hey, um, Commissioner Landis, can I eject this guy for yelling, you know, anti-Semitic things constantly at at uh, you know Hank Greenberg?" I mean, I don't know, whatever. It doesn't make any sense. But anyway, um, that's you know shows a lot of dignity and respect and um, balls, really, if you want to get down to it, to be able to say, I don't care what the consequence is going to be. I'm going to do the right thing here and take care of business on my baseball field. And that's what he did. And he had, uh, you know, kind of a soft spot for uh, Greenberg throughout his career. When he uh, used to umpire third base, he kept telling Greenberg, you know, and coaching along and how to steal home. And Greenberg was not fast. I mean, he was like 6'5", you know, 220. I mean, he was not a fast ball player. No way. He, I don't think he ever stole home in his in his whole career. But he kept uh, trying to teach him how to do it. And uh, Greenberg said he never really had the guts to do it, so he never did. But uh, then in 1938, when Greenberg was challenging um, Babe Ruth's home run record, which was 60 at the time, um, there was one of the late games in the season in which Moriarty had the plate and he waited as long as possible until darkness hit. This is before night games, of course, um, for Greenberg to have a chance to get his mini at bats. And Greenberg finished with 58 home runs, you know, dealing with all the anti-Semitic things going on, uh, during that time. But, uh, anyway, you know, he certainly showed, showed his, um, uh, his mental fortitude and his, uh, Ability to maintain control of a game no matter what the situation was. I mean, he was a tough-minded guy and a tough guy physically, as we might know. Anyway, a very interesting man, George Moriarty. And uh, in the obituary in the Sporting News, uh, after he died, um, the title was Battling Moriarty, Ump Who Loved to Fight. And uh, I'm sure we all know a few guys that are a little bit like that, that uh, don't back down maybe when they should, but... uh, you know, back in the early 1900s, that was probably the best way to be. Um, obviously changed in this uh, time period that we have nowadays. But uh, he's not in the Hall of Fame as an umpire. Um, you know, certainly could be considered a Hall of Fame umpire uh, for some of the accomplishments that he had and things that, that he gave to the game. Um, there's only so many guys that uh, were Major League players and Major League managers and Major League umpires. Um, so anybody that's done all three of those things and also scouting and other things he did things after he retired but anybody that's done those kind of things at least in my book should be considered um, a baseball immortal and uh, for the hall of fame so that is this week's umpire spotlight george moriarty Well, that brings us to the conclusion of another episode of the Hammer and Umpire podcast. As I always say, I really do appreciate you listening. Um, My listenership is still going very strong. I've seen a little dip in uh, my numbers the last couple weeks, and I think that that has something to do with guys being a little bit on the, I don't know, the the downside, the uh, depressed side, as we talked about in one of our segments here. Um, you know, I, I gotta say that I, I, you know, I'm a little bit like that too. I mean, it's kind of hard to stay with your head in the game a little bit when, um, there's no games to go to, right? But stick in there, man. Um, keep up on stuff. Um, I know they're showing a lot of, uh, 
old-time baseball games on, like, MLB Network and other networks and stuff. Watch some of those. Watch the umpires. Uh, read some articles about officiating and umpiring. Um, listen to past episodes of my podcast. If you haven't listened to some of them, maybe that'll help you out a little bit. Keep going because this thing is going to end at some point, and we're going to get back out on the baseball field. Um, I don't know when that's going to happen. I hope sooner rather than later. But it is going to happen. And, um, you know, spring will be here in, in a real way, not just, you know, weather-wise like we're seeing right now. So, you know, it's tough. I know it's tough out there, but uh, we can get through this and uh, we'll make sure that when we're on the baseball field, we're ready to go and um, we're all going to really appreciate the things that we have once we're able to get hopefully some of them back. Uh, this will definitely put a few things in perspective. I'll continue to do my podcasts. I'll try to line up some interviews with some people here in the next couple of weeks. I'll keep you updated on how things are going in my state. I would, I would really appreciate it if you kept me updated on how things are going wherever you are living. All right? Send me a message, spawnaffusion06 at yahoo.com. Go to the Facebook page at The Hammer Podcast. Go to the Anchor app or the Anchor website that you know hosts this podcast and leave me a voice message, 60 seconds or less, on any topic that you want. And uh, let me know how things are going or just a question you have or something like that. Um, if you don't want me to use it on the show, just let me know. But, um, you know, if you do leave it, I'll be more than happy to do that. I like to kind of get more people involved in the show. Um, and uh, hopefully at some point or another, we can all keep calling strikes.